Welcome to Now Charleston. I'm Sam Spence. It's Monday, February 21st. Every episode on Now Charleston takes a handful of headlines from the area and tells you why they're important. Today on the show, I've got four stories driving the news in Charleston and statewide. First, income taxes could go down for South Carolina workers next year. I'll take a look at what that means for you and why South Carolina's tax brackets mean even a small change will affect most of you. Second, a historic performance space downtown, College of Charleston's Satilli Theater, is ready for its highest profile debut after a multi-million dollar renovation. Third, almost seven years after Emanuel, South Carolina's hate crime law is still waiting on the Senate for approval after passing the House last year. South Carolina is just one of two states without a hate crime law. And finally, DEC announced last week it's scaling back some of its testing operations as Omicron cases subside. I'll let you know what you need to know. It's Monday, folks, but don't worry, it's going to be the best day of the week yet. Those stories, plus the low country roots of blue jeans, starting now. The governor and South Carolina senators made high-profile announcements last week about plans to lower state income tax. Governor Henry McMaster and State Senate President Harvey Peeler both proposed lowering the state's top marginal tax rate from 7% down to at least 6% over the next five years with Peeler's plan going all the way down to 5.7%. The plan would mean someone making around $30,000 to $40,000 a year would pay about $83 less per year on average in income taxes, according to the state. That $83 on $30,000 of income is about one quarter of 1%. Peeler's plan, which would impact state bottom lines most, would cost about $900 million in lost tax money. The cuts have been goals for Republicans in the legislature for years, since on paper South Carolinians pay more income taxes at around 7%. North Carolina's tax rate is 5.25%, and Georgia's rate is 5.75%. But state revenue officials point out it's more of a problem of optics, said Frank Rainwater, the executive director of the state's Revenue and Fiscal Affairs Office. Since taxpayers can deduct significant portions of their income, knocking down what's known as the effective tax rate down to levels below our neighboring states. About 4 out of 10 South Carolina taxpayers are in the top tax bracket, which starts around $17,000 a year in income, but most pay less, meaning the tax cut would benefit lower earners less. So for reference, you know that quarter percent difference for the $30,000 earner, for filers earning a million dollars, they would save about $22,000 in taxes a year. That's about 2% of their taxable income. It's just interesting to look at the South Carolina state tax brackets. They're, they're relics of when the state initially set up its progressive income tax system, which incremented taxes up based on how much you made. But the brackets themselves haven't been updated uh, as much. So now the state has six income tax brackets, but they max out around $17,000 meaning anyone that earns more than that pays about the same percentage. McMaster's proposal would cost about $800 million a year. And for reference, the state budget in total is about $11.5 billion a year, with more than $3 billion going to education every year alone. King Street's Satilli Theater got major upgrades over the past five years, reopening in late 2020 after almost $5 million in improvements. The Post and Courier's Maura Hogan had a good rundown of the space's 
new look in the paper over the weekend. Dating back to about 1927, when the theater functioned as a vaudeville space and movie house, what's now the Satilli Theater is one of the only remaining theaters built by Albert Satilli around town, and the only one that still functions as a performance space. Others, according to the College of Charleston, include the Garden Theater, where Urban Outfitters is now, the Riviera, down by the Charleston Place Hotel, and the American Theater, an event venue on Upper King Street. The theater, originally called Gloria, closed in 1975, and the college bought it soon after, and the college's purchase is one factor school officials say helped ensure its continued preservation until now. If you went to CFC and ever stepped in there, you know, it's it's one of the biggest spaces like it on the peninsula, and it was functional, but it hadn't had a full re- renovation until about 2015. Well, as crews were removing acoustic tiles that lined the walls, they discovered original classically themed murals. The theater was Satilli's crown jewel, after all, downtown. Uh, Those have been restored as part of the most recent round of upgrades. Anya Kelly, the theater's director of operations, discussed it in a video posted by the school earlier this month. It took us 18 months to do the stage renovation, so that gave us enough time to fill the entire theater with scaffolding so they could get up there, do the work on the murals, do some repairs to the dome, which is also original to the theater, all these historic pieces of the space that needed some love and attention. In the next few months, Satilli kicks off a run of shows that will test the new stage, set, and lighting systems and more. This Friday, the school's Department of Music, along with the Department of Theater and Dance, opens three nights of productions of Mozart's Magic Flute Opera. After that, ballets are in the mix with Palmetto City Ballet, as well as a recital with Chamber Music Charleston. All that leads up to the space's biggest production yet. Spoleto Festival's Omar will take the stage on May 27th for its world premiere run. It's a show years in the making, and things like Spoleto are one of the reasons why the Satilli got renewed attention in the first place. FYI, Spoleto tickets go on sale tomorrow. On Friday, the mayor and state representative Wendell Gilliard with a coalition of faith leaders gathered at Emanuel AME Church downtown to reiterate support for the state's proposed hate crimes law. The proposed bill, according to the Associated Press, would add up to five years in prison for someone convicted of murder, assault, or any other violent crime fueled by hatred of the victim's race, sexual orientation, gender, religion, or disability. South Carolina is just one of two states without a hate crime law, the other being Wyoming. The law was written after the 2015 shooting at the church that claimed nine lives and irreparably shifted the course of many others. It's named in honor of the Reverend Clementa Pinckney, the church's minister who was also a state senator. The state house passed the law last year, but the state senate has yet to take it up. Eight Republican state senators are reportedly blocking the bill, according to the AP, and Senate Republican leader Shane Massey said it simply isn't a priority. The stalling comes despite business interests signaling a desire for the bill to pass. And while the state and local chambers of commerce made their proposal a priority last year, there's not really been a concerted push I've seen from the business community this year. But the Charleston Interfaith Coalition, the group assembled at Emanuel last week, is hoping to get small businesses on board to build a group of people and businesses large enough to pressure lawmakers to act. But the group of interfaith leaders assembled at Emanuel last week are hoping to get small businesses on board to build a group of people and businesses large enough to pressure lawmakers to act. The activists I talked to on this know the power of individual action to influence South Carolina state lawmakers. National companies have made a lot of PR-driven political pledges in recent years, and plenty have backpedaled when push came to shove. 
that's one more reason why South Carolina lawmakers think they can ignore these PR-driven pledges uh, when it comes to something like this hate crime law. But if there's one thing politicians will listen to, it's business owners and workers who live in their districts. Those are the folks stamp out hate this coalition is trying to put together here. If Republicans ignore this bill through May, which they could easily do, the process starts all over again. And South Carolina remains one of two states without a hate crime law. You can find more information about Stamp Out Hate at stampouthate.sc and show notes for this show at nowcharleston.com. The South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control announced last week it was scaling back some of its drive through testing centers, pushing folks instead to test at home using rapid antigen tests. DHEC said the shift takes effect beginning March 1st. By March 14th, gradual closures of DHEC managed sites will have taken place in Charleston County. In counties where there are fewer non-DHEC facilities for testing available, some will remain open for longer periods of time. People can always get tests at non-DHEC managed facilities and, of course, with those at-home tests. And a reminder that everyone is eligible to receive four at-home tests through covidtests.gov for free. The tests are free, and they're usually shipped within two weeks. The website advises you to order yours now so that you have them when you need them. DHEC has not said how it plans to handle any potential surge in testing needs, uh, if if any come up again, like what the state experienced with Omicron earlier this year when testing facilities were swamped after many had already closed or scaled back operations. Public health officials have long said additional variants will continue to come up as COVID-19 continues to change. One more thing I wanted to flag for you today. Did you know the color of your blue jeans has low country roots? One of the latest episodes of PBS's American Experience documentary series looked at the origins of jeans. Uh, There's some discussion about how the fabric came to be, whether it's from India or Italy or France or a combination of all three. Uh, But there's little dispute over how jeans got their color. The indigo dye from plants first cultivated in the colonies in any substantial amount came from plantations by enslaved Africans using traditional techniques taken from Africa and the Caribbean, the documentary asserts. Indigo and blue dye was popular before it was cultivated in the Carolinas, but with wars and colonization and technological innovation, the blue indigo dye synonymous with blue jeans can trace its American history back to the Carolinas and the labor of enslaved Africans on plantations that fueled early economies of Charleston. That's all I've got for you today. If you've got feedback for the show, you can leave a voice message at 843-474-1319 or just email me, sam at nowcharleston.com, N-O-W-C-H-S.com. I'm going to be doing a Q&A episode soon, so if you have questions about anything in Charleston, anything, send those in. It'll be part mailbag, part trivia session with Sam, so send in those questions. As always, you can check nowcharleston.com, N-O-W-C-H-S.com for links and notes from today's show. Actually, if you type out nowcharleston.com, it'll redirect. Pro tip. Um, and to make sure you don't miss anything in between shows, follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash nowcharleston and instagram.com slash nowcharleston. Have a great Monday, folks. I'll be back Wednesday with the next Now Charleston.